0: midtown detroit studios of wdet this is detroit today
1: as we all watch the horrors of war coming out of ukraine as russia invades the pain of those images hits many Metro Detroiters even harder. Southeast Michigan is home to tens of thousands of Ukrainian Americans and Ukrainian immigrants. We'll hear voices from that community today. We'll talk about what they're hearing from family and friends in Ukraine and what they think the U.S. should be doing in response. That's all next on Detroit Today, right after the news.
2: Detroit Today is supported by Michigan School of Psychology in Farmington Hills, educating psychologists today who will transform our world tomorrow. Learn more at msp.edu.
1: Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Steven Henderson. For a long time, we didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Russian troops had built up along the Ukrainian border, and world leaders began collaborating to decide what to do if Russia invaded the country. On Wednesday of this week, we got news that Russia began attacking Ukraine. And since then, we've been watching as Russian aggression and the invasion has escalated. Since then, there have been sanctions made against Russia in hopes that its government will back down. So far, that hasn't happened. And things now appear bleak as Russian troops are closing in on the nation's capital of Kyiv. And anyone with a Ukrainian passport has been told to fight. Meanwhile, much of the world looks on. Ukrainians have a sizable population right here in Michigan, especially here in Southeast Michigan, and because of that, we wanted to get a better perspective on how they're reacting to this situation. What do they want America to do? Are they happy with the sanctions that have been issued, and how are they coping with the current moment and trying to support possible friends and family members in Ukraine? That is what we are going to concentrate on here throughout the hour today. A little bit later, we do hope to hear from someone who is, we think, at least, on the ground right now in Ukraine— Brian Mefford, a U.S.-born longtime resident of Ukraine and a senior non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council. Uh, We have not heard from him this morning yet, and we hope that he is safe and doing well and will be able to join us. We will see. Uh, But right now, I want to welcome two people who are right here in Southeast Michigan uh, who have really interesting perspectives on this uh, and who are very much connected to what is going on. Dr. Olana Doniluk is vice president of the Ukrainian-American Civic Committee and the Ukrainian-American Crisis Response Committee of Metropolitan Detroit. She grew up in western Ukraine and now lives in southeast Michigan. Uh, Olana, very nice to have you today on Detroit Today.
3: Good morning. Thank you so much.
1: I also want to welcome Martin Hauerlach, a Ukrainian-American from Troy, a former state lawmaker. Martin, it's great to hear from you today.
4: Good morning, Jake.
1: So first, um, I know that this time is is difficult and intense for for both of you right now. Um, I, I want to start with how you're feeling. Uh, what are you thinking about right now as you see these images coming from Ukraine and hearing from people there? Uh, Olana, I will uh, start with you.
3: I am personally devastated and I'm in anger. Because I wasn't expecting that this war will broke up, and I was expecting that all world will stand shoulder to shoulder and protect Ukraine. And as we have seen for second day, what's happening in Ukraine? People are prosecuted. It's shelling everywhere. People are fleeing, and no one is not believing that it happens happens right now in in this moment. So as for right now, I plead for all our governmental to to. To make a decision and to help Ukraine, because if you wouldn't save Ukraine right now, it would be very late tomorrow.
1: Martin, what what are you feeling and thinking right now?
4: I would uh, I would echo uh, Elena's sentiments. The uh, what we are seeing unfold before us is a is a true tragedy of epic proportions, and it would seem to me that after all of the tragedies that have unfolded over the last few decades, that we would be ready to stop something like this. So it's very painful to watch it being um you know happened before our very eyes without any any action proper action being taken by the world to prevent such slaughter of people.
1: I I do want to talk a little bit more in a bit about the world response and the response here from the United States. Uh, But first, I want to uh, ask you both uh, if you are in contact with with folks over in Ukraine uh, and what you're hearing from them. Uh, Olana, uh, what are you hearing, if anything, from people who are on the ground there?
3: Yes, I'm in contact. I'm in contact with many people from Ukraine right now. And many families are. It's a disaster because I have a person from Mariupol. She she left Mariupol and she stayed in Kiev and she hopes that she will stay in her friends for a couple of weeks and go home but right now she's fleeing. In current time, she's she's going to Lviv, but it's almost eight hours she is on the road. Mm. And I have to contact my friends in Lviv to find for her shelter. And what would be next, she doesn't know. I asked her if she is planning to immigrate because from Lviv it's only 40 kilometers to the Poland border. But she told that for right now, everyone is uh, from 16 years old to 60 years old. They, uh, they are staying in Ukraine and they will be fighting against Putin invasion and she stays so I have two more friends it's one mom she was here uh, on Fulbright fellowship at Wayne State University. She also volunteering here in a uh, in a suicidal preventing um non-profit um, here at Michigan and safe house is located on eight mile. And she, three weeks ago, she went home because her fellowship was ending up. She has a 16 years old son. When she came home, her son has a COVID disease Mm. and he was hospitalized. She stayed till yesterday. She stayed in a hospital until yesterday. We were in contact. I talked to her and she told, I'm staying with my son. We will Mm. be here sheltering, but it's okay. And right now I got message from her that they are on the road to Lviv. But it's again eight hours in a row, and her her son in very bad conditions. I have families in Lviv, and right now they are they they notified me that we are staying in Lviv. We will be protecting our Ukraine. We are planning to fight, but they have small kids. They have they have life, and right now it's a sirens everywhere. They are on and off in the shelters, and they don't know what 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 would be tomorrow and. What world their kids would see tomorrow,
1: and Alana, I, the the idea of everyone, as you said, from eighteen to sixty, I believe, f- you know, staying to fight instead of leaving. I, I want to ask you about your reaction to that. I mean, for those of us here in America, it's so it's 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 so difficult. I think for 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 so many of us to think about the idea of that and and how brave and how horrifying that must be, are you surprised at in any way that so many people in Ukraine are, are saying this exact thing, that they won't leave, they're going to stay. And not only are they going to stay, they're going to fight back.
3: Ukraine for many, many centuries was fighting for Ukrainian independence. And the Ukrainians right now, they, under, they understand that if they will not fight for, for Ukraine, we will lose this country. They only feel helpless because they hope that other countries will help them. And right now they fight alone. And that's truth. They fight right now alone. And with fleeing, where they could flee, it's 45 million peoples. And for right now, we have a lot of we have a lot of wounded people. And we need help. But my point is that. 45 million people are, so if they're fleeing, who will accommodate them? So what they have to do. So I I, I have very mixed feelings right now because I want them to be safe. I want them to find a shelter. I offered, I'm looking here how we are in Michigan could be ready and prepared for response, how we could help those people and house and accommodate them here. But I understand that we are losing Ukraine minute by minute. Putin is bleeding Ukraine to death.
1: Martin, I want to hear from you. Do you have contacts in Ukraine? I know that you're you're a little more removed. I know that it was your great grandfather who, who immigrated here um, uh, from Western Ukraine. Uh, but do you still uh, have contacts in Ukraine? And if so, who are you hearing? What are you hearing from them?
4: No, I don't, uh, I don't have any direct contacts in Ukraine just through uh, social media, but yes, it's, um, you know, the, um, the, um, uh, Olena and I may, may um, have come, our families may have come over from Ukraine at different times, but I mean, I think it's just indicative of the, of the um, struggle that our people have had for, for our, um you know, to, um, to, to, for the very existence in, in this world. So, I mean, and. To that point, um, Vladimir Putin published last year a 1,600-word essay or a manifesto, really, is what it was. And in that, he said, uh, and, and even recently, he was very um, emphatic about this, that there is no such thing as Ukraine. There is no such thing as the as Ukrainian people. And so the reason why people are, are staying and fighting is because the alternative is to not exist. So when you have a choice, and we're not used to that in the Western world, you have a choice now to either die – to not exist as a people that's not much of a choice
1: yeah absolutely you're listening to detroit today on 1019 wdet i'm jake near in for stephen henderson today we are hearing voices from the ukrainian american and ukrainian population here in southeast michigan the community that exists that is very robust in Metro Detroit and what they are thinking and going through as they watch the images coming from Ukraine and from uh, the capital city of Kiev. Um, And we want to hear from you throughout this hour as well. I'm curious, what do you make of the current situation in Ukraine? Do you support America's response uh, with these sanctions and other things? What do you think is the best course of action going forward? And do you think America America should do something stronger than just sanction Russia? What do you make of Russia's aggression, and do you question you know ways to support ukrainians during this time which what are what is going through your mind as you're thinking you know what is my role in this what what how will this affect me and how can i get involved in some way we especially want to hear from you if you are ukrainian uh, either someone who has immigrated from ukraine uh, or someone whose family uh, came here from ukraine uh, we would love to hear your perspective and your stories as well the number on the lines is 313-577-1019 That's that's 313-577-1019. We also would love to hear from you on Twitter. You can use the, use the hashtag Detroit Today and we will try to get you on that way as well. Um, and uh, Martin and Olena, I want to talk a little bit about w- the community here in the first place, and and sort of how it developed. I know that there there is um, reasons that we have a number, uh, a large number of Ukrainians in Southeast Michigan. Uh, Martin, what's your understanding of uh, you know the the origins of so many people and why they ended up here in Metro Detroit? Well,
4: there there are three main waves of uh, Ukrainian immigration to the United States, and my family was was clearly in one of the early ones but if you look at um you know we came, our people came over around 1911 but just a few years later interestingly enough the uh the russians actually occupied that part of what's now ukraine as well as eastern poland and uh, of course then you had another wave that uh, that happened right uh, right after during and after world war 2 and then the third wave you know, of people trying to escape communism. But, I mean, even before that, you know, our our history is just wracked with tragedy. I mean, there's a saying that there's no peace in Ukraine. There's just periods between wars. Mm -hmm. And um, so that um, that really speaks to um, the struggle that we've had over the years. But as far as the community, we have a a beautiful community center, Warren, and uh, we have the multi-generational members of the community, and certainly we stand strong and United as well. And so it's... uh, like many other ethnic communities in Michigan, we are we are one of many.
1: And Olana, um, I'm curious about your personal story. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you grew up in western Ukraine. You now live here in southeast Michigan. Uh, what what brought you here, and, uh, and, and how does that story relate to other Ukrainians as well?
3: I came here because I applied for a job at Wayne State University, and I was with Wayne State University for 19 years. And when I came here, the Revolution broke in Ukraine, but that's how immediately from after a week being in the United States, I joined Ukrainian organizations in support of Ukraine. And at that time, I remember that I in 2004, I was planning to go home in two years and rebuild Ukraine and support science, but I stayed. And I'm thankful for the United States for everything, what I, what I have here. But joining all organizations, I understood complex history and Ukrainians here for all those waves, they were preserving history here because they preserved Ukraine here for independent Ukraine. Ukraine now is independent 30 years, and we just celebrated our independence. And I know how here in diaspora, all uh, our the, uh, the Ukrainian-American diaspora was happy and In supportive for Ukraine and for rebuilding, but believe that Ukraine would be happy and independent country. And I joined, so I joined new wave, and new wave is the fourth fourth wave that the 90s, 80s and 90s when people were immigrating here because we had all this tumulus breaking up when Ukraine got independence and it was very hard just to stand up. And a lot of people were trying to look job, uh, to search a job um, overseas. But also they were supporting their families to support their families and to support their loved ones. And that's what they do. And now we expecting it would be fifth wave. And as a community, as a ramada, we have to be prepared to to, to expect that they will be here because what's going on right now, it's devastating. And I, I just don't have no words to express. And I just want to... I'm just I'm just devastated because I'm constantly even right now I'm receiving emails and messages and people just asking for help and they asking to bring this message to the whole world.
1: Yeah, and and Olena, uh, I want to talk a, a little bit about what you and the Ukrainian American Civic Committee and the Ukrainian American Crisis Response Committee of Metropolitan Detroit are doing in terms of organizing, in terms of communications. Uh, there's a lot of things happening right now, it seems. I know you've held a couple of events, but walk us through what that work looks like and, and what it looks like, especially in this very moment.
3: Ukrainian American Crisis Response Committee formed a couple of weeks ago, and we decided that all members from all organizations, we will be be we will be, have a united, coordinated response. And we just formed this committee just to we not we were not assuming just in case if any crisis will happen in ukraine and as right now we know crisis happened so we organized the prayers we will try to organize people and just let them know how we could collect um, collect the help and how we should be organized in in case ukraine will need help and now this moment arrived so we will. For right now, yesterday we hold a rally uh, near Saint Josaphat Church. That was an emergency rally where we uh, where we hosted many uh, many rep- legislatives and representatives from our state and um, Congressman Andy Levin uh, and all our state representatives. We have uh, mayors from major cities where Ukrainian lives, And we tried to create a plan how we could respond, how we could help, how we could collect funds, how we would deliver those funds. Because right now under war, we only could deliver help or medical help to Poland, to our friends, and later somehow just to to deliver all these uh, band, bandages, uh, tourniquets, any medical supplies, what they are requesting right now, we have to provide to Ukraine. And we don't know what would be tomorrow. So that's a crisis. And here in the Ukrainian Cultural Center, our schools and our churches, they pledge that they will provide their uh, facilities to collect uh, to collect aid and collect help. Also, it's very important to understand that this help has to be delivered right away. So we need planes, we need uh, logistics, to be able fastly, very quickly, to deliver that, and organize. So right now, members of committee working on it. And on Monday, uh, we have um, delegations. They are going to Washington D.C. And as you know, in Washington D.C., Congress will be starting their work on Monday, since 6 p.m. and 5 p.m. in a Washington uh, Holodomor Memorial near Union stations. It would be a big rally where we're hoping that we will invite all legislators and all Congress representatives to bring attention of our Congress to that issue and just to make right decisions to help Ukraine.
1: Yeah and and I want to get to that in terms of what you want the response to look like uh Alana what what are you thinking uh, is the is is the solution here what what do you want congress the president and uh and, and sort of this coalition of western governments to be doing right now
3: so any sanctions so we have to take the, any sanctions which could be holding back Russians. We have, they have to take an effect now. We shouldn't just slowly and, you know, apply gradually sanctions, as, as I understand, because I have heard that if you apply all sanctions, you wouldn't have any leverage to apply those sanctions further for Putin. Freeze any assets, real estate, all property of any Russian politicians or military officials that, are, that they hear and invest. Because we have to bankrupt Putin's war machine. Right now, you have seen prices for oil. We're paying for this war. Ukrainian military, they must have the tools to repel this invasion. If you would have NATO support, if you would have Air Force protecting us on the ground, we would be able to protect. But right now, as you can, you have seen what's going on. We have shelling and we have their helicopters. And uh, there are air force everywhere. So we couldn't, and Ukraine doesn't have enough of developed system for anti-missiles protections. Also, West must accelerate sending weapons, in particular, this anti-aircraft and anti-tank systems. And, you know, maybe an iron dome system because we have to shoot down all these missiles. Also, we have immediately sent United Nations peacekeepers to Ukraine, because as, as you know right now, all peacekeepers, they are they are going out from Ukraine. You have only, USAD only six members left in Lviv. How we could build a structure to help people there? We have removed Russia from SWIFT. And you know what happened yesterday, that still Russia is not removed from SWIFT system. So we, we just have kicked Russia out of every international body like Russia has is part of it, like UN Security Council, G20. So we, And we have like all world has to stand right now with us because right now we just alone. I will be repeating this over and over. And I understand that what probably sh- why Ukraine should matter here for, for, for Americans. But that matters because we are losing democracy. We... We left them fight alone for democracy, what they have built, yeah. and it's a genocide.
1: Well, I, I know uh, Martin that you also have lots of thoughts as well about the U.S. response, and we will get to that in just a, a bit here on Detroit today. Uh, Dr. Olana Donny Luke, I really appreciate you joining us here. Going to let you go so we could try to get someone that we hope is uh, on the ground in U- Ukraine and able to join us on with us. Uh, but really appreciate you again, uh, Dr. Donny Luke, uh, joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And as I said, we will continue this conversation uh, next on Detroit Today with Martin Hauerlach, a Ukrainian American from Troy, former state lawmaker. And we'll hear from you on the phones Maria in Warren, John in Pleasant Ridge, Leslie in Hazel Park. We will get to you next.
0: Freedom will prevail. God bless the people of a free and democratic Ukraine. May God protect our troops.
1: That's the voice of President Joe Biden addressing the country yesterday as Russia invaded Ukraine. You're listening to 101.9 WDET. This is Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. And we are listening to voices from the Ukrainian-American and Ukrainian communities here in Southeast Michigan this morning as they tell us what they're feeling and thinking as they watch this situation unfold. Uh, Right now with me, I have Martin Hauerlach, a Ukrainian-American from Troy, a former state lawmaker and we want to hear from you as well uh, throughout the hour today as always the number on the phones is 313-577-1019 you can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter Uh, and uh, Martin I want to listen to just a little bit more of what the president had to say yesterday in his address to the nation Um, you know there was uh, quite a bit in there uh, but let's listen to another clip of the president yesterday.
0: This was never about a genuine security concerns on their part. It was always about naked aggression, about Putin's desire for empire by any means necessary, by bullying Russia's neighbors through coercion and corruption, by changing borders by force, and ultimately by choosing a war without a cause.
1: So that is part of what uh, the President said yesterday. Uh, Martin Hauerlach, I'm curious what you thought of what President Biden uh, said during his speech yesterday and more about sort of how he has reacted to this entire situation.
4: well, i want i think I think you know at times like this that it's important for there to be uh, unity and American resolve as well as the the Western world. And so I would say that objectively speaking, that particular clip, is 100% spot on. It, it doesn't really matter who says it. it, doesn't really matter what political party they're with. That is exactly what's happening.
1: And in terms of the I know that you have lots of thoughts. As a state lawmaker uh, in the Republican caucus, you uh, introduced a number of resolutions, I, I know, in support of Ukraine when you were a state lawmaker uh, during different um, events that were happening there. Uh, but what what are some of your thoughts about how we got to this point and how the U.S. has handled this so far and what you think needs to happen going forward?
4: So... When the uh, Soviet Union and uh, communism in Europe fell in 1991-1992, I think that the United States made some miscalculations insofar as what the realistic expectations were as a result of that. And I think that um, we uh, perhaps misunderstood the needs of the people of Eastern Europe, including uh, the people of um, Ukraine and the and the countries in, in that uh, region, including including Russia. I think we also had a misperception that there was going to be forever peace. I think that it's important to have continuous dialogue and actually understand people through their own eyes. And I think one of the mistakes that we often make as Americans is that we, we see the world through American eyes. And the world is a big place. You know, they say it is a small world, sure, but it's also a big place with a variety of people. And this is, and for us as Americans to, to make sure that we as America are safe as well as the rest of the world, it's important to understand the rich histories of, of the peoples. And so I think um, this could have been prevented, but it, it's one of these things that is um, if, it's, if we don't have action now and all of the points that Elena made as far as what needs to happen now, are very much true, and these are the things that really need to happen. And they're not big asks either. We really do need to make sure we act now because, you know, we look back on things like what happened in the former Yugoslavia and in in many other cases in in, um, Rwanda, and we have regrets about what we could have done and maybe we should have done this or maybe what, what we should have done that. We now have the opportunity to act. We have the opportunity to act now, and We need to act quick, we need to act fast, we need to act act decisively.
1: I, I also think that it's important pro- probably to bring up the the fact that none of this happens in a vacuum and there are also uh, that there are no easy answers in war that you know in terms of sanctions in terms of military intervention there are, are, are trade-offs right I mean in terms of the the, the question of, of Swift that is something that's come up the international uh, you know communication system that allows Russia to do banking around the world lots of people saying we need to kick Russia off of the system immediately. Um, uh, there is for one thing, my understanding is that the u s. actually could not do that unilaterally. And a lot of the countries in Europe that are trying to prevent that or are not sure not convinced at this point to do that depend on Russia for things like food uh, that 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 all of these uh, all of these questions are complicated. I think it's just important for people to keep that in mind as we talk about this
4: that that may very well be true but i mean i will tell you you know the the other thing that everybody needs to keep in mind is that uh, between russia and um, ukraine there's a a huge amount of the world's food supply so that um, mm-hmm. you know the um, we need to be thinking a little bit more than you know today um strategically if we want to pre- prevent tragedy and if we want to actually protect the uh, the food supply in the world we really need to act now, and the U.S. does have the ability to act unilaterally because of the dependence of the world on the United States dollar and the United States financial system. And um, so it, it's, a, it's the reason why we're able to put for better or for worse, it's the reason why the United States has more sway within, than most other countries in the world. We need to be able to use the, the tools that we have as a country in order to, to do the right thing morally.
1: Sure. Uh, I want to go to the phones and hear from some voices here in Southeast Michigan. Uh, Let's go to Maria in Warren. Maria, welcome to Detroit Today. I'm I'm glad that you called in today. What would you like to say?
5: I want to um, reiterate what the previous speakers have said. I'm gratified that they are so articulate. However, I want to go a step further. I am appalled at the lack of readiness that the world powers exhibit at this crisis i perceive and i suspect that possibly ukraine is a sacrificial lamb to putin Mm. putin will not stop at grabbing ukraine don't the world powers and especially europe don't they understand that latvia lithuania estonia and even Poland may be the next grab that the, uh, Putin, the bear, the dictator, is is perceiving. He is planning very strategically. I hear that they, there is an attempt to uh, overpower the airport in Lviv, which is close to Poland, not to destroy it, but to keep it for future use of Putin's Ukraine. It will be his. And I want to underscore that many people in Russia do not feel the same way as he does. Mm. They are demonstrating at the expense and danger of their own safety.
1: Yeah. Maria, um, according to my notes in front of me, this says that you yourself are Ukrainian. Is that correct?
5: I was born in Ukraine. Uh, however, I was a refugee, so I understand what refugees will go through.
1: Yeah, tell tell I us about that story. Tell us tell us about what you went through.
5: I this isn't my this isn't just my story. It's many people. Some uh, Russia, when they took over uh, Galicia, the western Ukraine, um, transferred many people into the um, uh, Kazakhstan and Siberia to mix people for their future Soviet Union. Other people, knowing this, escaped towards the West, to Austria, to Germany, to Czechoslovakia. So there were many refugees. I was one of them. After Kazakhstan, two years, we were um, released to the um, care of uh, British and transported through at that time Persia, to southern Rhodesia for five years. These refugees stayed there five years. At the end of the war, Britain took us to Britain. A British government took us to Britain. I stayed there with my mother and grandmother for three years. And then we were uh, able to join our family in Michigan and I've been here ever since. I understand the plight of refugees. I would like to make sure that our government permits some refugees to exit from uh, uh, Western Ukraine through Poland and maybe uh, receive them in the United States. Mm. Um, I would like to see them in Michigan. I would like to work towards having a community where Ukrainians that our refugees may be um, uh, welcomed here. We will work very hard to make them welcome. We'll help them educate their children. We will help them find work. We will teach them English language. We need the president to change the immigration law so that this could happen immediately. But first, I want a stronger by the president and the United Nations. Believe me, if the United Nations sent a security force, even to Lviv, not necessarily to Kyiv, because they're scared, that would show great support for Ukraine. That would, like Olena says, shoulder to shoulder. The Ukrainian people will see that the world is not sacrificing them to Mm -hmm. the appetite of Putin. Who wants to be in a world to to retain his position in world history as a, uh, an empire? Yeah, Mar- a Russian Empire.
1: Maria, I I so appreciate you calling in. It's such a powerful story, especially considering what we need to be thinking about moving forward as well. What the, what does this mean for people who are fleeing Ukraine going forward uh, and, and, and what it means for us here in Southeast Michigan? I, I, Maria, again, I just really appreciate your perspective, your story, and for you listening and calling in today. Uh, thank you again um, for that. Uh, I want to go to uh, John in Pleasant Ridge. John, welcome to Detroit Today. What would you like to say?
0: Well, hi, how are you? Um, I think that, that Putin took um, the possibility of sanctions into account long before he invaded uh, the Ukraine, and that the only uh, the only effective response at this point is going to be a military one. Whether it's helping the uh, helping the Ukrainian, uh, giving direct help to the Ukrainian military, or intervening ourselves, and other than that, it's uh, you know it's. It's it's a lost cause. Hmm. And that um, once if Russia were allowed to you, to integrate Ukraine into, you know, and make it part of Russia, that it's they will have gained uh, a huge, they'll have, they'll have changed, they'll gain like 45 million people and expanded their economy by a huge amount. And it's a—that's a strategic change in the balance of power, in the world. So yeah. it's a—it's either act act now or accept the consequences for, you know, in, a, in addition to what is happening to the people of, to, who live there, too. So.
1: John, I, I really appreciate this perspective. Thank you for listening and calling in and for that. Um, Martin Hauerlach, I'm, I'm curious uh, if, if you uh, have thoughts about both of the callers. I know very different calls, but especially this idea of military intervention at this point.
4: So one of the things that um, that was proposed by uh, have been proposed by members of both parties in the United States as a United Nations peacekeeping force. And I think from a standpoint of uh, basically stopping the bloodshed and at least uh, protecting a culture from annihilation, I think that's uh, a very sensible option. And I think perhaps a no-fly zone over Ukraine would be in order as well. What you need to do is to stop the bloodshed. And there, we have a fundamental problem. And the reason why There, there, there's no middle ground between Russia and Ukraine is because the Russian leadership right now has, has been very clear that that Ukraine as a people, as a country, as a culture does not exist and it will not exist once they're done. So I don't know if if you can be, if you can be any more clear than that. What he's saying is he intends to annihilate Ukraine and its people. You know, Mm -hmm. we saw that in, in, um, in uh, Bosnia and Herzegovina with the um, Serbian advance on places like Srebrenica. We saw that in uh, Africa. How many times do we have to see that before we understand that when people tell us that they want to annihilate a culture, they're going to do it?
1: Hmm. Martin Hauerlach, Ukrainian-American from Troy, former Republican state lawmaker. Martin, uh, it was great to, to hear from you today. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. I, I really appreciate your perspective, and uh, let's stay in touch as uh, as events continue to unfold.
4: Very good. Thanks so much, Jake.
1: All right, coming up on Detroit Today, we will talk with an expert on Russia and this region of the world and Soviet history here at Wayne State University. Aaron Reddish will join me, and we will continue to hear from you on the phones. What are you doing? What are you reacting? How are you reacting to what is happening in Ukraine and this Russian invasion? Uh, What do you think is the proper response from the U.S.? And of course, especially we want to hear from you if you have connections to Ukraine in any way, if you are Ukrainian-American or an immigrant We would love to hear your story today on Detroit Today. The number is 313 577 1019. Again, that's 313 577 1019. Walidimir in Livonia, you will be up next on Detroit Today. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. We are talking about the evolving situation in Ukraine, the Russian invasion there, and especially we are hearing from voices of the Ukrainian community here in Southeast Michigan, both uh, Ukrainian immigrants, refugees, as well as people whose families came here from Ukraine uh, a long time ago or even in recent memory. We would love to hear from you if you fall in that category here on Detroit Today. The number Is 313 577 1019. Again, that's 313 577 1019. Uh, We had hoped to hear from someone on the ground in Kiev, uh, and we are still hoping maybe that that might happen. Uh, We are waiting for Brian Mefford, U.S. born, longtime resident of Ukraine. Um, Unfortunately, we have not been able to connect with him yet uh, to talk about his experiences there, but again, we are still holding out hope that that might happen. But we also have another great guest with us with us right now, thanks to Aaron Reddish, history professor at Wayne State University with a specialization in Soviet and Russian history. Aaron, uh, thank you for uh, joining us here on Detroit Today uh, in a really evolving situation even as we speak.
6: Uh, thanks for having me. This is uh, kind of a horrible experience.
1: I want to talk to you about that. We, we had you on the show about a month ago uh, when it seemed very uh, possible that this would happen, although there were a lot more questions as to whether Vladimir Putin would actually do this. Now things are certain. Uh, Russia is invading. Uh, what is your reaction to what's going on and sort of the broader context of what it all means?
6: Yeah, in December, um, neither I nor most Russian scholars Uh, fellow Russians uh, actually thought that Putin would actually uh, invade uh, Ukraine. Um, We thought that this was all kind of smoke and mirrors or big bluff. Uh, Clearly, that was not the case. Um, It was, um, you know, on Monday uh, when he brought the Security Council together in Russia, it was clear that he was moving towards a war, and um, the language that he was using was not just to uh, when he ex- um, uh, when he said that he was going to the defense of the uh, breakaway republics of the Donetsk and Bukhansk, uh, but he also spoke, as your other uh, other um, guests have said, about uh, basically regime change and denying Ukraine as a nation. Um, this is clearly um Moving in to try to topple the Ukrainian government, um, so it's it's um, astounding. And,
1: and I guess one of the big questions that we all have is is why? I mean, as you as you told us, there were a lot of reasons why not. Uh, right. So so, what is Vladimir Putin hoping to
6: achieve here? Uh, so there are a couple of things. I mean, it, it seemed on Monday, and then again in his. Uh, long-winded speech to the nation that this was a leader having a, a public temper tantrum, uh, that his demands were not being met. Uh, on the one hand, he was aiming at NATO and the, um, the Western countries uh, to try to get them to back off NATO expansion, um, to uh, turn Ukraine um, away from westward facing towards, uh, back towards Russia, as the one hand. On the other hand were these um, uh, pipe dreams that he's been uh, saying for um, a decade now that uh, Ukraine is not a nation, that he uh, was going to, that Ukraine should be uh, tr- faced towards Russia, and that uh, this was the fact that Ukraine was a nation was a large mistake. Uh, from the Soviet Union uh, back in 1917, 1918, that he was trying to uh, rectify.
1: Could it also be, and and clearly I'm not an expert on this in any way, shape, or form, but I have been wondering if this uh, has something to do with Vladimir Putin trying to undermine the U.S.'s role in the world, you know, the U.S., uh, from again, my layman's perspective, is has played a role as sort of the the hegemon, the the the, the player in the world that, um, for better or worse, and for the you know many times the U.S. has not uh, done its job to to keep peace in the world. Uh, that that is its role, though. That you know uh, w- that the U.S. is seen across the world as as a major player in making sure that these kinds of things don't happen. A- am I off base that maybe? Vladimir Putin is is thinking that that's that's part of the reason to do this to make it seem like the U.S. is not doing that job.
6: Uh, sure, I think that's part of it. So I, you know, when Putin acts, he acts both domestically and then he thinks regionally uh, and then also globally uh, for the kind of the global perspective. Um, you know, he is well aware of Russia's diminished role in the world, and especially that the United States sees Russia as just a regional power, right? This was the uh, something that uh, Obama said, um, but he is uh, trying to assert uh, Russia to be a global power. Um, so one of the things that uh, in 2014 during the Ukraine revolution uh, and then later was that upset Putin so much was what he saw was um, U.S. interference in Ukraine to try to topple uh, a regime that was sympathetic to Russia. Uh, so this was that Putin saw was kind of U.S. interference in his, in his own backyard. So this is always kind of stuck in the craw of uh, Putin. So uh, I don't think that um, Putin sees himself as kind of an equal power to the United States. Uh, but certainly, there is an idea of uh, pushing back against the United States uh, and other and European powers as well.
1: Let's go back to the phones. Vera in Troy. Vera, welcome to Detroit today. Uh, what would you like to say today?
2: Um, I just wanted to share that I um, spoke with family this morning in Cave. I'm really very concerned about them. They had to spend the night in the Metro um, with many, many other people and. Um, They're frightened, they're scared, and um, feeling helpless as we are here. So anything that we can do to help support our um, loved ones in Ukraine and from the world, I think we need to step up and and really take action.
1: Vera, thank you for that. Can you tell us a little bit more about your family in Kiev and and who they are and, and sort of what they're going through right now?
2: Um, my family, actually, after the fall of the Soviet Union is when we discovered we had this family, um, because during the war, many people were separated. So um, my my father's brother had um, children, and after the fall of the Soviet Union, we were allowed to travel to Ukraine, and we located them. So they live in Kyiv. I have other family in Poltava, and... Um, over the years, um, I started a nonprofit organization to help orphan children in Ukraine, so I um, had the ability to deliver humanitarian aid there and get to know my family very well. Wow.
1: Vera, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to call in and, and, and share that perspective, and uh, best, best wishes to you and your family and, and everyone uh, who's going through the same situation that, that you are and, and, and your, your, your family in Kyiv. Thank you again uh, for calling in. Um, I want to go to Woleedemir in uh, Livonia. Wladimir, uh what would you like to say today here on Detroit Today?
7: Well, first of all, good morning to the listeners, and, um, and please pray for Ukraine and their wonderful people. Um, I myself am a uh, DP baby. I was um, born in Germany post-World War II. Um, right, right after, right, well, just prior to our immigration, we immigrated in 1951. I immigrated with my parents. I've been involved in the Ukrainian community, uh, from the time I could actually make good involvement. Uh, two year olds don't get involved that much. So (laughs)
1: anyhow, I have a two year old. Um, I know that. Yes.
7: Yes. yes. My wife sometimes calls me the toddler. (laughs) Um, uh, I was naturalized in 1964, mm. um, and uh, my largest concern, my biggest concern, my most emotional concern, is for my relatives and friends that I've made. I've been in Ukraine probably eight times from 1991 to uh, to just uh, 2008. Mm. Uh, we have family in the in the north, in the Chernihiv area, in the Kiev area. I have. I have a village uh, that my father was uh, born in and lived in uh, uh, prior to uh, World War II, which is about 10 miles away from Chernobyl. We visited that that village several times. My wife has relatives in Crimea, as sometimes it's called, Mm -hmm. and uh, we also have uh, relatives in Donetsk and other areas where, uh, well, I think I gave an accurate picture of... uh, my family and my wife's family are deeply concerned about their safety um, and of them remaining ukrainian uh, and what i mean by that uh, putin dash stalin has absolutely a one vision what to do with the ukrainians and that is to eliminate the culture and through means of uh, what was what happened during the uh, tsarist times, is publicly you cannot speak Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. There's publishments that were eliminated. All printing of Ukrainian texts were eliminated. This is a government edict from the tsar. Uh, so uh, I I can see all that happening, especially uh, after the rantings of uh, Putin Stalin over the last few months that the American public has become aware of uh, what his, um, what his feelings
1: are toward yeah. Ukraine. W- well, Lydiamir, I'm I'm so sorry. I don't mean to cut you off. It's just we are almost completely out of time, and I, I really appreciate that perspective and and what you're saying there. And again, best of luck to you and the people you know over in in Europe and in Ukraine now. I uh, thank you again, uh, Aaron Reddish. I only have 30 seconds. I'm so sorry. I know this is a big question, but thoughts uh, so far on sanctions against Russia and uh, what is the effective uh, measure? What could be effective measures going forward? Again, just about 30. Seconds left.
6: Uh, sanctions are going to take a long time to actually have their effect. Um, we talking months or possibly years. Uh, and that's something to uh, keep in mind, and that they're probably going to hurt ordinary Russians the most.
1: Mm. Aaron Reddish, history professor at Wayne State University with a specialization in Soviet and Russian history. Aaron, always wonderful to have you back on the show. I'm sure we'll have you back soon. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. Detroit Today is produced by me and Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. Stephen Henderson's back on Monday. We'll talk with Michigan Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. This is, again, WDET. Thanks for listening.